0: On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, the NFL Draft is now less than three weeks away. And we have three men who will have an influence on the course of direction of the upcoming NFL Draft. Browns general manager, John Dorsey, who's been a major player this offseason, trading for Odell Beckham Jr. and Olivier Vernon from the New York Giants, joins us to discuss his acquisitions and the Browns' surprising plans. For this upcoming NFL draft, when they're currently scheduled to be without a first-round draft pick, Indianapolis Colts general manager Chris Ballard, a mover and shaker from last year, looking to shake it up again in Indianapolis, and Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn talks about his near-death experience. But first, the Browns' general manager John Dorsey. All right, here with Browns' general manager John Dorsey. He takes his big swig of water there before he gets ready for this big, hard-hitting interview. <laughs>
1: Interrogation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brown. Typical Michigan man. <laughs>
0: All right, Browns general manager John Dorsey. How's
1: your basketball team doing, by the way.
0: Oh, well, listen. At the time they were taping this in the final sixteen, so standing.
1: And if go. they can take it further, then That's why I threw your bone. I- there. Well, there you go. I-, I appreciate you throwing a bone. Okay. How's your team doing? I'll throw you a bone. Um. I think we got better. I think we got better. Uh, I think that's what the goal is uh, in terms of when you set out a plan, You know, there's certain periods there where you can kind of better your team, either be unrestricted free agents through the trades, wires, or the college draft, college free agency. So we're going to try to take advantage of these types of opportunities. John, you bring up trades.
0: You made the biggest trade in the offseason, trading for Odell Beckham Jr., a one, a three,
1: and Jabril Peppers. How... Does a trade like that get made? I think you planned for it. I mean, uh, I think people sometimes laugh at you, but we we try to have all different types of scenarios in terms of determining trades. When you hear certain things, and you know, ninety nine percent of the time, uh, you know these trades don't happen. And then usually you take those different scenarios, you throw them in the trash can, and off you do the next project. But this just so happened on, I'd say, Tuesday uh, mid-afternoon, about 4, 4.30, after getting off a phone call with David Gettleman, I'm saying to the guys, I think this we may have a chance here. On Tuesday, March 12th at 4.30 Eastern, correct? Yes. Yes. And what made you think that it had a chance? Well, just listening to the conversations uh, with, with Dave and myself, and it was going in a good direction. Um, and I just I felt very positive at the time that this may this actually may come to fruition, so that happens at four thirty eastern and then what happens subsequent to that that the trade gets processed and done? Well, actually, there was never an agreement of the trade until about seven p m that night so it was ongoing conversation and dialogue and it just so happened all the pieces of the you know all the pieces of the conversation went to the final. End of of where 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 it materialized. So when you drove into work that Tuesday
0: morning on March twelfth, yep. you did not know that the trade for Odell Beckham Jr.
1: had a chance to go down that day. Well, you 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 think uh, of all different types of scenarios, and uh, by no means were you not going to try to you know keep this this type of trade moving forward, and and that's just you know. Proper planning. I mean, that's what you do is you're planning for all different types of scenarios, and this one just so happened to work. So when you get the call that
0: the trade is agreed to, it's complete. It's going down, and you sent the one and the three and Jabril Peppers to the Giants room. What is your reaction? What happens in the Cleveland Browns complex? Do you call your owner Jimmy Haslam first? What happens at that time when you know you've just completed
1: a historic trade? Well, on a, on a trade of this magnitude, you wanted to prep ownership beforehand and say, you know, there's a chance this may happen, so I'm just giving you a heads up. And so what you do is, after the trade is orchestrated, you say congratulations, and you move on to the next project. And that's, and that's it. That's what you do. No celebrations, no, no high-fives. No. We are 7-8-1. and one. We're third place in the AFC North. We haven't accomplished anything. Now, we got better with a better player, and hopefully we can move this thing and be ultra competitive now in the AFC North. But as you well know, it takes 53 guys to play the game of football. It's not one particular person. It's galvanizes a group of people with the same common core and uh, core beliefs and goals to sustain. You know what winning is all about. Because the good teams win in the fall. The good teams don't win in March. But you are aware of the excitement that it created in Cleveland. Well, no, that's, you know, there is a fan base in Cleveland that hasn't uh, had you know, hope and belief for a while. And now, hopefully, you know, I've said all along, you know, this organization, let's wake up the Sleeping Giant because the Cleveland Browns football team is one of those iconic franchises. And the fan base, I put them up to anybody because they're as good as any fan base I've seen in the National Football League. When that trade goes through, though, do you get any messages from any former Browns,
0: any. People of the city of Cleveland, like, does LeBron James reach out to you to say, "John,
1: so excited for the Cleveland Brown season to start"? No, because I don't think LeBron James has my cell phone number, to begin with. But um, you know, to me, that that trade really doesn't get finalized. I, you know, I believe on ink dry and on piece of paper until he passes the medical. That trade's not finalized until he passes the medical, which took place a few days later. So, I mean, to me, you just, it's a systematic approach of, of, of building a team. That's what you do.
0: When Odell showed up in Cleveland, what was the message that your organization gave to him at that point in time?
1: Well, I I believe in face-to-face meetings, and I think it's always important to sit down and talk to that individual, see what his core makeup is, see what his true passions and and his competitiveness is all about. I want him to understand what the culture within the Cleveland Browns organization is moving forward and see what we're all about, because, uh, to me, those men are those in that locker room. Those are the Cleveland Browns, and this organization will go move We'll do anything to ensure that those guys. We'll take care of those guys. But you got to do your part too on the field, okay? But the organization will be there to help and assist you. But then again, you have to do your job on the field, and that's why you know that's why that conversation is so important. And what was your impression of him
0: upon your meeting with him?
1: Well, he is a very competitive, very passionate uh, man with very broad interest. You know, who loves the game of football. Uh, his teammates absolutely love this guy. So I'm excited to, to see this, see him be a part of the 2019 Cleveland Browns offense moving forward. A lot of strong egos, a lot of big personalities in that locker room. How equipped is Freddie Kitchens to handle all that going forward? I think Freddie is very direct. He's very honest. He's, uh, he's going to be very demanding. He's going to tell the players exactly what the expectations are. Uh, it's not like he hasn't been around strong personalities before. Uh, as long as you can move this needle forward uh, organizationally uh, under the leadership of Freddie Kitchens, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see this thing moving forward. Some big moves on the defensive side. You
0: trade for Olivier Vernon. You sign Sheldon Richardson. What is your impression of your front line on defense and what your defense can do this season?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, as you well know, one of the basic tenets I've always had is you know, you're only as strong as your foundation. And that foundation is the offense and the defensive line. So now, you know, what, what, uh, what Olivier does and what Sheldon does, that just, you know, that's going to help Miles a little bit. That's going to help Larry Ogan Joby. That's going to make Emmanuel Agba. And then we have some other younger players in there, you know, a Janard Avery who can rush the pair, so a little bit. And Then we have, you know, we have some other younger players that then you can begin to rotate these players. So, you know, in the today's football, you have to have pressure on that quarterback, either be outside or inside, but you have to have constant pressure. John, I would
0: say that you may have the most dangerous front four in all of football. Will you agree with that assessment? I know you don't
1: well, like to probably say this. No, I mean, you know what? It looks good. Let's, let's wait and see what happens in pads. You can make all the assertions you want, but to me, you guys got to go to training camp. You got to work every day. You know what? You may, you know, you may look good on paper, but let's turn let's turn that paper into reality by your actions on the field. That's where good teams begin to be really good. Well, is that the same approach that you have to take
0: with all the excitement surrounding the Cleveland Browns? Because this may be the most excited that people have been about the Browns since they came back to Cleveland in 1999, and everybody knew that team wasn't going to win. But people are now expecting the Browns to win, maybe win the division, maybe
1: compete in the playoffs, maybe even be a Super Bowl contender. Well, I know they were excited at 7-8-1. I myself was not excited at 7-8-1 because that put us in third place. So to me, you get excited by, you know, you set the organizational goals in the offseason and see if you can match those goals. I think that should be the objective of this team moving forward.
0: But if a team goes 7-8-1 and, and then goes and adds Odell Beckham Jr. and Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson and some of the other players and moves that you've made,
1: I don't want to put pressure on you, but it should be better than 7-8-1 next year. No, I agree with that. You know, stress is self-induced. We all all know that. So the message has to be loud and clear. Okay, how are we going to accomplish our ultimate goals? And then what these guys have to do is follow the leadership of Freddie Kitchens and the coaching staff to move this thing in the proper direction that the Cleveland Browns should be in. What is Kareem Hunt going to bring to
0: this franchise this season?
1: Um... Kareem Hunt is diligently, right now, what he, what I love about him is he's trying to show everybody the better version of Kareem Hunt. He actually was in the community of Cleveland uh, last week uh, mentoring some young men, and he will continue to do that and just to, to show that he truly is remorseful for his actions. Uh, his play on the field um, is really good, but he adds to the Cleveland Browns. Now, you know, we could have a three-headed monster here, and I saw in Seattle when they began to 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 do this thing They had three running backs That were trying to establish a new trend We always hear about the two-headed monster But now, all of a sudden You have a Nick Chubb You have a Kareem Hunt Now you have a Duke Johnson So you got three guys there That can be interchangeable at at that position And so that's exciting And the last thing I want to ask you Before we let you go here What's it going to be like for you on draft day When you don't have a first-round draft pick, John? Business as usual I mean, that's the way it is Who's to say I won't go up in the first round? Might we see something there? You never know my phone's
0: open. They can give me a call. <laughs> John, thanks very much. Congratulations on the offseason, even though you don't want any congratulations yet, and good luck We haven't in. done anything.
1: Well, I'm just telling you. A lot of people excited. Okay. Excitement is good, but you know, reality is your action on the field.
0: The general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, Chris Ballard, the man that has helped bring this franchise back to where it is right now, made the playoffs last year, went on a little run there. Looked like it could have gone even further, Chris. Ended a little abruptly, as sometimes playoff losses can do. At this time last year, we were sitting here talking, and we were getting ready for the draft. You wound up trading back, getting extra picks, drafting Quentin Nelson. When you look back on that pick and the subsequent picks you acquired, what stands out to you?
2: Well, the, the I thought our scouts did an unbelievable job, and we've talked a lot about the character of our team the character of the men you know we bring into our locker room uh, the character of that group is uh, is really strong from a you know from a football perspective i mean they all have a humbleness and some and empathy where they want to get better and they take coaching they take constructive criticism and they understand you know the shoulders they stand upon With our organization, you know, from that group with Peyton, and we've had ex-players come back in and talk to them about it, and they've really, you know, they've taken the baton and ran with it. When
0: you traded back last year to go from number three to number six, did you trade back with the idea that Quentin Nelson would be the guy at six if you were there?
2: We knew there was. I want to say I. I think at the time I thought there was six to eight players that we all thought had um, elite talent. Um, so we knew that you know, between Quentin and a few other guys that we were going to get a really good player. We were not focused as much on position as we were getting a guy with with real talent who also had character, which I thought last year at the top of the draft was really strong.
0: What is your assessment at the top of this year's draft? I know you're not picking as high as you did, but you must have feelings about this draft and how this current group of prospects stacks up.
2: It's funny that you say that because... You know, always kind of go back and say, okay, if we were in the same spot last year, um, who would be the guys that would have been in the mix? And there's, I don't know if there's quite the depth of last year, but there are some players that I think uh, would have been under consideration.
0: So if you were in this spot last year, who who were some of the guys that would have been there? Are you allowed (laughs) to say? (laughs) I don't want to quite get into saying, you know, at this point. What are the strengths of this draft as you look at it, Chris?
2: Well, look, it's a good defensive draft. Um, I think as we go, you know, we're finishing up right now. We'll go through the board once in February, and then we sit down and we go through it again. We'll finish next week before our scouts go in. Then we'll go through it a third time. Um, but we think there's some really good defensive players in in general, not just one position, good defensive football players. I think the offensive line's a little underrated also. I do, I do think there's some depth um, on the offensive line. Uh, the real strength of it, you know, is the defensive line without without question. Um, and then it's just a matter of flavor. You know, what's your type of flavor?
0: When you go into this, do you have a flavor that you're looking at? Do you know a group of guys, 10 to 12 guys, whatever it may be, that you would really like to see wind up with the Indianapolis? So you must have an idea in each round, boy, I'd like to get this guy there or this guy there.
2: Yeah, we got we to, gotta, you know, we're starting to get our handle on, you know, around 26, what, what's going to be there we still got to shift through all the information you know here in the next few weeks but saying that you know we got a pretty strict criteria of what we're looking for um, not only fit from a athletic player standpoint but also from a character standpoint does that mean we won't you know take a chance on a guy that's had some issues no it doesn't Um, but it's also going to be a guy that we think uh, is going to fit into the culture of what we're building in our team building the
0: team during free agency you re-signed some of your own players, yep. Clayton Gathers, Pierre Desir. You brought in some players from the outside, most notably Justin Houston and Devin Funches. What attracted you to Justin Houston?
2: Well, I was with him for four years. So that, in Kansas that, City. Uh, yeah, in Kansas City. So that that helped. I got to see him on a daily basis, you know, and then weekly basis play and prepare. Um, and we just thought he was going to be a really good addition uh, to our to our defensive line. You know, we want to get to a point where we have seven or eight guys playing and uh, we think the addition of Justin's gonna help that. We look he just turned thirty. Uh, we think he's got unique physical traits which usually allow guys to play longer and, and we think Justin's still got a lot left in the tank and we think schematically uh, what we're gonna ask him to do on defense is gonna is gonna really help him. Um, and then the addition of I mean you know, as you know, I mean we're gonna pick our spots in free agency. Um, I just think, you know, that when you're building a team, especially where we were, we really had to get a foundation of young players, you know, before we really started, you know, adding, you know, outside guys. Are we going to, you know, pick our spots? Yes, we are. Um, But, you know, going forward, you know, most most of our players we're hoping is going to come from internally.
0: You talked about picking your spots and yet you headed into free agency with as much if not more salary cap room than any other team in the league. And I think people were waiting to see. This shopping spree that Chris Ballard was going to go on that didn't really occur like that. Like there were some additions, but it wasn't like what people were expecting. They were expecting Christmas morning with presents
2: everywhere. No, and I, I think I told everybody at the combine what we were going to do. I mean, we and and look, we that first weekend of free agency is or that first few days is crazy. Um, and and we actually were in on a couple guys, but they're just there's you've got to have a point to where you just say you know what. We're we're out at this. When it, if it gets to this number, we're going to be out, and uh, we're comfortable with that. We just we just feel like between you know the the rest of free agency, the draft, after the draft, into the cutdown, that we can find an answer um, that's going to fit our team.
0: So let's say you're going through free agency. You come up with a guy that's a ten million dollar a year player. You attach a ten million dollar figure to him. Do you ever budge off that and you say, okay, you know, I'm going to go to 10.75. I'm going to go to 11 million. How often does that happen or does it not happen at all?
2: It's not happened with us yet. Um, to say that, to say that we wouldn't do that, I'll I'll never say never because the first time I do, we'll, we'll do it the next week. Yeah. Um, so we attach a max point that, hey, look, and we do it before free agency starts. We sit in there and we talk about, okay, where's, where is the point that we're going to drop out? And then when it gets to that point, uh, we you know, we just we're out.
0: Is it hard sometimes when you really want to get that player?
2: No, I think you got to take emotion out of cuz what'll happen is you get in a you get in a back and forth and you know you're in the middle of either either a great poker player or you're in the middle of a bidding war. And if I've learned anything over the last 2 years, the ability to say no is really a powerful it's a powerful thing.
0: That's the true measure of success, the ability to say no. And you can do that.
2: And it's hard. It's very difficult to do. But, you know, you've just got to have discipline with what you're doing. Then you've got to have enough confidence in your staff um, that you're going to find answers. And look, and even your coaching staff's got to understand. And and I was just – we were talking before we started here about, you know, they don't ever get in panic mode when if we're actually going after a player and we don't get him, they – there's, I'm sure there's disappointment, but they know at the end of the day, we're going to do the best we can, uh, try to find them an answer, you know, before we get into, you know, between here and October and November.
0: I started out by asking you about Quentin Nelson and your selection of him last year. At mm-hmm. this time last year, we also had uncertainty facing Andrew Luck.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you look back at last year and all mm-hmm. that he was able to do, did that surprise you even?
2: N- no. I mean, I just had a – and I. And I wish there was, I mean, just was a, you know, sometimes you go with your gut, but I just saw, I'd gotten to know Andrew so well, you know, from the first day I walked in the building to watch, you know, his transformation um, and, and watch him work, to watch him work through um, solving problems along the way. And then I knew the team around him, um, you know, his doctors, um, his guys helping him, our trainers, and then uh, Willem who was helping him rehab. Um I just felt that it's I knew he was gonna play again and I knew he was gonna play at a high level again. I just couldn't put a a stand that's why I would never give you a date. I mean everybody kept asking me what's the timetable. I said I don't I don't know. I don't know the time. I just know it's gonna happen. And it did. Yeah, and it did. No, and credit credit to a lot of people. Before, and Andrew.
0: Before I let you go, I want to ask you also one last thing. You are here as the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts and yet you Grew up working in your dad's tire store. What is the greatest lesson that you learned working in your dad's tire store?
2: <laughs> Good question. Um, well, that it is really freaking hot in Texas City, Texas. <laughs> Number one, I, I'll tell you what, it, it the ability to work with different people um and it doesn't matter where you come from or what you do. The ability to be able to connect and relate um, at every level, no matter if I'm fixing somebody's tire, airing, and, airing their tire up, filling their gas. Um, everybody's got a story. Everybody has a you know guys I worked with. You know everybody has a different perspective on life. Um, and and it doesn't matter whether you're you know a GM of a of a team in the National Football League, or you're you're working at Matthews Incorporated. You know, really, at the end of the day, we're no different.
0: But being a GM, you prefer being that rather than working at a tire store.
2: I could. I tell people all the time I could have to go get a real job for a living. That, that would be tough. Hey, Chris, thanks very much Thank for the y'all. time today. Appreciate and be it. In the draft.
0: We'll be back in a moment with Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn. But first, I want to remind you about our other great football podcasts here at ESPN. As you get ready for the NFL Draft. Make sure you're subscribed to the First Draft Podcasts with Mel Kiper Jr. and Todd McShay, as well as the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny for your football fix this offseason. All right, here with the Chargers head coach, Anthony Lynn. Anthony, coming off a big season, went to the divisional playoffs, season ended in disappointment. But this is a team, your team, that's loaded with talent. And as you begin to get ready for the draft in April... You got a chance to fill some more holes. How would you assess this draft and what it might be able to do for your roster?
3: Oh, this draft, it's been deep and, you know, it's, it's D-line. Uh You can find some solid linebackers in this draft, offensive linemen as usual. Uh But you never know, Adam, to be honest with you. You know, we, we say that the last year's quarterback class may have been a little stronger than this year's class. But until these kids get into the National Football League and play on Sundays, you just never know.
0: When you go into that draft, do you usually have an idea of some guys that you may come away with?
3: Oh, yeah. We do our, we do our homework, and uh, we know what our needs are, but we never want to go into a draft uh, drafting on our needs. We want to take the best available, and then we just make adjustments from there. You take Durbin James, for example. Uh, we didn't have him uh, coming to us in the first round last year. We was going after a defensive tackle, and Durbin just kind of fell in our lap. We, we can't pass this guy up, and so we made the adjustment. Now, we had the— move on from one of our our starting safeties, Jaleel Adai. I mean, we love him, but we had two guys put in the same position and one just a lot younger, and he has a a lot of potential. So, uh, you know, it it was a tough decision to make, but it happened because Derwin James fell in our lap. And
0: when you saw Derwin James this year, you probably still wonder how he fell in your lap.
3: Yeah, I did, every day.
0: (laughs) 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 That good, right? He's that good, man. Who did you remind you of?
3: You know, you have like Sean Taylor, Cam Chancellor, kind of one of those combination guys. You can go back to Steve Atwater with his physicality, but this guy can cover. He's a big physical safety that can cover in the box. So you can do so many things with him. You can use him as a linebacker. You can use him as a safety. So you can use him as a rusher.
0: You know, I remember tweeting out at the beginning of the season that there are some people who think that Derwin James reminds them of Sean Taylor, and I don't. Often read my comments. I try not to read them, but I remember reading some of the comments that day. And people were in disbelief, and annoyed, and angered that anybody
3: could compare. Wow, well, could be compared to Sean Taylor. Well, you no, know, Durbin. He didn't have the best senior campaign, you know, at uh, at Florida State coming out of that last year. He was injured year before that so i can see why some people may think that but when you really studied the tape on this young man and you had to go all the way back to his freshman sophomore year you saw the potential
0: anthony as you are in the afc west how difficult is it knowing that you will have to face patrick mahomes for the rest of your coaching career
3: (laughs) Uh, it's gonna be difficult for a lot of people adam (laughs) you know but uh seeing him twice a year uh, man, and watching him grow up as a kid in high school and, and playing at my alma mater. And you know, I've been watching Patrick for a long time, and now I gotta go up against him twice a year. It's, it's gonna be a tough challenge, but, uh, you know, we're building a team, Tom Telesco and I, and, and the rest of the crew, to match up with that Kansas City team. They have so many weapons, and we know that, you know, we can't accomplish what we want to accomplish until we can beat that team. And, uh, uh, the speed that that, that team have, the problems that they present with their speed and space, has been a problem for us. So when you're making free agent moves or you're going to be in the draft this month, the Chiefs
0: and Patrick Mahomes are on your mind when you're making some of those moves.
3: I think they have to be. You know, and and we went into the draft last year. The same way, you know, we brought in uh, DJ. We brought in uh, uh, Casio White. He's a young man that a lot of people don't know a lot about. He got hurt early. But he is heck of a talent. He was a safety at uh, West Virginia that we turned into a linebacker. That was outstanding for us early on. So, uh, but fast, and so you have to match those those speed and space guys. Kevin White's younger brother. That's right. Absolutely. Now you bring
0: up Patrick Mahomes, Texas Tech. You went to Texas Tech. He went to Texas Tech. How did you not wind up with him?
3: <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people <laughs> didn't wind up with Patrick Mahomes. So, uh, you know, and he was good. He was a good college player. But you know Kansas City, you know they moved up. They were aggressive. and They wouldn't got the guy they wanted. Was he better than you realized as an NFL player, Patrick Mahomes? No, I, I saw. We saw the the skill. It was there. But did we think it was going to happen this soon? I have to be honest with you, know. And you have to just take your hat off to Eric Ben-Amy and, and Andy Reid.
0: Now, as for your quarterback, Philip Rivers, he's in the latter part of his career. How much longer do you envision Philip Rivers playing?
3: You know, it's hard to say. I mean, you look at Tom Brady just winning a Super Bowl at forty one and it doesn't look like he's slowing down. You know, Phillip Rivers showed up last year. He turned 38 during the season. He looks better than he did the year before when I got here in 2017. So uh, it's, it's hard to say. You know, these guys are, number one, we're taking care of these guys, and I think that's proven uh, to put a better product on the field. The NFL's on a good job with the rule changes and things like that. But uh, uh, and these guys are training differently. and taking different supplements, and they're just playing longer. How would you expect to replace – the loss of Terrell
0: Williams and Jason Verrett?
3: It's, it's going to be tough. And, and, you know, when people say, you know, we, we have this, this, you know, yes, we have Keenan Allen at number one, Mike Williams at number two. Uh, Travis Benjamin's going to have to step up at that number three spot for us. You know, I feel like we had three starters last year, you know, especially towards the end. And so we'll see who's stepping uh, to Terrell's shoes. But, you know, Dylan Cantrell, we drafted him for a reason. You know, uh, it, he's got to step up. And so uh, there are a lot of guys, Jeremy Davis, they have to step up. This is their opportunity. So we'll see what happens. Joey, Bosa going to be healthy this year? He's healthy right now. That's all I know. And as long as he stays healthy, that'll be a big
0: boost for the you defense.
3: Know, you know, we missed him last year, the first 10 weeks of the season. We we did miss Joey. And when he's on the field, no doubt, we are a better football team. How much do you still hear about the Super Bowl commercial that you did? You know, I hear about it a lot, to be honest with you. Uh, and it was, it was never supposed to be a Super Bowl commercial. It was me talking to the first responders, just like they were my team. And I kind of got surprised or ambushed that the guys that actually saved my life were there. And, uh, then they decided to make it a Super Bowl commercial. And, uh, you know, uh, if it brings respect and light to the first responders, Adam, uh, that's, that's all I care about. And for people that don't know, you were hit by a car. Yeah. I was hit by a car in 2005. Um, it, it, it was a tragic accident. I got hit by a car going 55, 60 miles an hour, and I was walking. I was on my feet. And, you know, I flew across the street 45, 50 feet in the air, and, and no way I should have survived. Landed on a Volkswagen. I totaled the Volkswagen I landed on. Thank God it was there. If I had landed on the sidewalk, I probably wouldn't be here today. But, uh, you know, it was just a tragic uh, accident, and I was saved for some reason. How could a person be hit by a car
0: going 55, 60 miles an hour?
3: be thrown as far as you are, into how do you survive that? How does that happen? You, you don't. I mean, if you look at the stats, it's 99.9% fatality if you look at the stats. And so, uh, you know, I, I thank God every day that, that, that I'm here. I, I'm, I believe when I get up in the morning, I'm here for a reason. Did that accident
0: leave you with any long-lasting effects at all?
3: As far as... Uh, Limps, bone, bruises, sore... I've, and- I've had a couple of surgeries. I know I've had some reconstruction in my face... Shoulder, knees. I've had some surgeries behind the accident, yes.
0: And the first responders that came to help save you that day, how critical were they to your survival?
3: Very critical. And I did not know that until I met these people and we actually talked afterwards. I mean, we sat in the trailer and we talked for like three hours. After you know, the commercial? Well, I couldn't finish the commercial. So I said, well, break, we got to go now. And so we went and took a break and, and we said, we just visited. And they just kind of told me how that night went, and they knew every single detail. It was amazing how much they remembered. And so uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting.
0: What did you learn from them that night that you didn't realize before?
3: I guess when, you, when you're when you knocked out and you don't know what's going on, I just kind of learned how efficient these first responders are and, and how, how time matters. I mean, just seconds matter and and how fast they get to you and when they get to you, how efficient they are with what they're doing and their techniques and their fundamentals. We talk about that stuff in football, but they're doing that stuff to save lives. And uh, they were just a little slower or off just a little bit, I probably wouldn't be here today.
0: How did that experience change your life
3: and your perspective? You know, I just don't take things for granted anymore like I used to. You know, I was young at that time, and uh, – I probably felt a little invincible, to be honest with you. I mean, how the hell do you get hit by a car walking across the street, you know? And uh, I know the guy was three times legal limit drunk, and he swerved and he hit me. But, you know, uh, just being in that position, uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised just being in that position. But uh, I just I don't take things for granted. You know, I I, I approach life with a purpose, and, uh, you know, I thank God every day. You never sued the guy? No, I, I never did. You know, uh, he went to jail. He could have gotten seven years, but I think he got a year in, in probation. You know, it, it, it's no way you can defend this guy. Being three times a legal limit drunk and running, he didn't even stick around. He, he ran and the police called him later. But, uh, you know, I found out later, Adam, that he had two daughters, a wife. He'd been married for eight years, and, uh, he had a nine year old and a seven year old, and he's never had any priors. And I just couldn't see locking up their father for seven years, you know, and, uh, he's never had any priors. So, you know, it's, it is what it is.
0: Well, it's an incredible story, and I will say the commercial was remarkable, and people talked about the 100-year anniversary celebration that the NFL had with the wedding cakes and the jumping and the great players. But your commercial was emotional and real and genuine, and you could see it in the way you reacted to those first responders. Yeah, well, it was was definitely (laughs) raw. Anthony, thank you for taking the time today. Lots of luck in the upcoming draft and this season. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Adam. And so there is the Chargers head coach, Anthony Lynn, with an inspirational remarkable story that he had to endure. Special thanks to Anthony Lynn. Special thanks to the Colts general manager, Chris Ballard, who took some time out of his busy schedule to enlighten us about the Colts and some of their plans. And special thanks to Browns general manager, John Dorsey, who has been very busy this offseason, making all kinds of moves to try to get the Cleveland Browns back to the postseason, really back to relevancy, which he's done a great job of doing. Please join us again next week for another edition of of the Adam Schefter podcast as the draft creeps closer. We will be joined, amongst other guests, by the LSU linebacker, Devin White, the Florida State defensive end, Brian Burns, and a whole lot more. Thanks for listening this week, everybody. Have a great week.